Hello, I'm David Sparks, and welcome to The Automators. Today I'm joined, as always, by my lovely host, Rosemary Orchard. Hey, David. How are you? Hi, Rosemary. Is that, is that bad if I say lovely host? Because you're a, a lovely no. person, but I don't want to get in trouble. I mean, I trouble. take it as a compliment, so... Good, good. Yeah. Good. Okay, thank you. And uh, we are also <laughs> joined today by the guest I've been wanting to land now for a little while. Uh, welcome to the show, Ryan J.A. Murphy. Hey guys, and I'm 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 frustrated that I'm not also lovely, David. Well, you know the dashing Ryan J. Murphy. I'm looking at your picture right now, and gang, you don't get oh, yeah. the benefit of Ryan's Zoom picture, but he's he's looking off camera. He's not looking right into the lens. He's in a nice suit and tie, uh, and I will tell you, you'll have to take my word for it. Ryan certainly is dashing. I, I, uh, I'm going to admit something on air, I guess it'll be recorded okay. forever. Uh, yeah. that's actually a wedding photo that oh, I photoshopped the boutonniere out of. <laughs> oh, really? Good job on that. Yeah. I, I was going to yeah, say, thanks. you look, you look really well rested, which for a new dad, that doesn't seem right. Your eyes should be a little darker. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't recent. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Well, well, gang, yeah. Ryan kind of landed on, on my radar. I don't know about you, Rose, just with making some incredible plugins for Obsidian, but he's also very active on the Mac Power Users forums. Um, he is a class one automator. I don't know how else to put it. Ryan doesn't just automate stuff. When there's a problem he needs to solve, he builds the tool to do it as well. So we are really looking forward to talking to you today about some of your favorite automations and also kind of some more of the meta questions around automation, which I think you have some interesting thoughts on. So, uh, so thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Like I said, uh, I, it feels like I've made it, you know, as an automator. This is uh, um, proof of of concept, at least, that I haven't made too many mistakes so far. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, somebody wrote in the forums like, hey, Sparky, you got to get Ryan on the, the show. And my email to you said, the people have spoken. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. that, but the uh, I'm like, yeah, we got to get Ryan on, of course. And yeah. um, I am a user yeah. of some of your uh, your products as well. Um the, um, maybe let's just start a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how did you get into automation? Sure. Yeah. Um, and well, actually, first, I should say, you know, a shout out to the MPU and Automators Forum uh, forums because there's just such a great community, right? I, I've been getting a lot of love there lately, which obviously makes me feel good. But even before, people were so complimentary of the, the stuff I've been contributing. Um, it's just such a great place to hang out. Um, so yeah, thanks to those, thanks to you folks for hosting that. Um, and to all those folks, I, I want to, yeah, I want to take credit for that. Cause, uh, we, we had it yeah. on Facebook and it was getting oh. ugly cause people that weren't in our family were showing up and, um, yeah. you know, and everybody told me, cause I, I was the one that said, we got to get out of there. And everybody told me, well, when you do that, just plan on it. You know, you're going to have like 10% of the people come over. And it's going to mm -hmm. be a, sh you know, a shell of what crop. it used to be. And what happened was everybody came over and then even more people started signing up because people that wanted to sign up before wouldn't because it was on Facebook. So, mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll tell you if you're afraid of moving your, uh, your forum off Facebook, you shouldn't be. And, and honestly, you know, Do the it. Mac power users and the focus listeners are amazing folks. I mean, I was just telling Steven recently, I had a problem that I Googled and the answer came up in the forum that I pay for. So there you go, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was troubleshooting something with an Alfred Apple script automation the other day. And so I Googled it and the automators forum came up. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, the universe is telling me something here. And of course, yeah. uh, Stephen Millard, who's been on the show before, was the one there with the answer to that particular conundrum. It's like, okay, wonderful. Thank you very much. Moving mm-hmm. on. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, yeah. And that's actually how I found out about you, Ryan, because I was trying to solve some of the problems I had with Obsidian. And mm-hmm. every single time I Googled something or I searched the Obsidian forums or the Mac Power users forums, it was you coming back with the answer to it every single time. And I was thoroughly impressed because it's not that you have an answer for everything, but you seem to be willing to look for a solution to lots of problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I used to be a gamer. Uh, and then for, for a while, uh, I realized how much time I was spending gaming. Not that there's anything wrong with that, um, but it wasn't meaningful to me. And I, mm-hmm. so I took a step back and, and I like finding these kinds of hobbies where, um, you know, you can spend hours and it's nice because you can only check in and on, onto these forums, like a, a couple minutes at a time. Right. Yeah. So while the baby is, uh, when we have for context for the listeners, we have a 10 month old here. Um, so it's been a, an interesting 10 months. Um, but it's a great like little, dose of dopamine to help somebody on the internet uh, with a two minute break from from taking care of the baby and um, so I'm happy to help yeah glad I could be of service yeah I find the same thing uh, you know as my my day job um, I help people with really difficult problems but as I get mm-hmm. older my happy chemicals really come a lot more from helping people out with with max Sparky problems there is something to that to, you know to make a little difference in someone's life mm-hmm um, but the uh, the dashing Ryan J. Murphy has been talking about the forums. I wanted to hear about you. So, sure. so, so, yeah. uh, how did you you know get on this road of automation? I know you, you said you were started as a gamer, but you also bring some technical skills to bear as well. That's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was thinking about this question. Uh, arguably, it started when I was five. Have you ever heard of the Incredible Machine? Yes, I have yeah. not. No, you have, David. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was too old for it, but ah. I remember that. No, when I was when I was like a, a five year old, and my my parents brought in the first Windows desktop, you know, um, taupe machine into the the home office. One of the games was the Incredible Machine, and it's this um, old DOS game that is basically a, a bunch of puzzles that are made up of Rube Goldberg machines, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so when you asked me this question, I was thinking about what what my start was and since so many automations really are Rube Goldberg machines, you know, these contraptions where you stitch together a thousand different little pieces that really probably shouldn't work together, but because you're able to fill in the gaps and because so many developers have made some brilliant kind of magic um, glues that fit everything together, you can make some incredible things. Um, So that that would be my jokey answer is probably when I was a kid playing around with the incredible machine on a a DOS machine. Um, But I do have a background in a degree in software engineering um, and right about that time I got into the Mac. I was a windows user. I was actually a windows power user, I think up until I got into computer science and then I needed a Unix, um, subsystem. And at the time I really didn't want to run Linux. So I jumped on a Mac. I opened up Alfred for the first time and away it went from there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I do think that like, there's a reason when Rose and I had Sal Segoyan, uh, we played a game of mousetrap with him because, for so mm-hmm. many of us, it is automation is, you know, this jumping onto that and that jumping onto this. So it, it's pretty, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a common story for folk. I, I, when I was a kid, I forget the name of, there was a game that was, there was a, I guess you call it a game, but it was a utility where you could make your own games. And that was a very much a, an automation kind of jumping off point for me in the terms of programming in terms, because I just wanted to make my mm-hmm. own games. And then all of a sudden, 
you start learning the concepts. Right. Yeah. And then you also, um, so when you got onto the Mac, um, you eventually mm-hmm. found your way to, to Obsidian, which is uh, the thing Rose and I try not to talk about every episode because we both love it so much. But, <laughs> but today I think I have free license to do that. So, so what, mm-hmm. what brought you to Obsidian and, and why is that the app that you have embraced so heartily? Yeah, it's a, a great question. I mean, a couple of years ago, well, it might have been a year and a half now that we saw this new um, sort of revolution in Notes apps and Rome was making a lot of um, a, a lot of hay uh, and a lot, everybody was talking about it. I came across Obsidian from a post on MPU. I think it was actually Quorum um, who shared uh, the original post about Obsidian. And I played around with it and just the principles clicked with me. I got into the Discord and talked to the devs and they clicked with me. It wasn't at that time as powerful, I think, as Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could just tell that the folks behind the app are, are brilliant, um, Erica and Sheeta, and they've done something, you know, in business school, they teach about strategic advantages, right? And strategic advantage is something that's inimitable. You can't imitate it. You can't build it if you're a competitor. And I think that with Obsidian, they've really built this app that is so well engineered and well designed on sort of fundamental levels. It's like it's got an API all the way down. And if you can play with a little bit of JavaScript, um, which actually isn't that complicated, um, I know I say that as somebody with a degree in computer science, but um, it, we're, we're actually running an event. Oh, this is the perfect time to talk about an event um, in uh, this month. We're running Obsidian October. Have you two heard of this? I have not, no. We were jealous of Na- National Novel Rating Month, right? NaNoWriMo or Record Production Month. So NaNoWriMo happens in November. Uh, Record Production Month happens in February. And the idea of those two months is to write a novel in November or produce an album in February. And so we were talking in the Obsidian um, Discord and, and we're just saying, why isn't there something for, you know, contributing to Obsidian like this? So Obsidian October, the very first ever Obsidian October is currently on the go. And the idea is that people are encouraged to contribute to the Obsidian community in whatever way they want. A lot of people are building themes for the first time and getting their hands dirty with CSS. Some people are building um, plugins if they are comfortable with uh, JavaScript and TypeScript. And then other people are just like writing docu- documents that help other people um, with the use of the app or writing workflows or whatever, right? Um, it's just a really nice, I mean, I think that represents those principles that I was talking about a second ago. Uh, it's just like such a great community. Yeah, I, I kind of had that experience. I was a little behind you because I, um, I my initial takes at Obsidian didn't stick because it was very basic when it first started. And, and Rome mm-hmm. was quite a bit ahead of it, but... Um, I was not having good experiences in the Rome forums. Like a couple times I had, like I was asking for some features and then people were like kind of messaging me mean stuff. And I, I just felt like it wasn't a very warm and comforting place. And I know that's not a reason to abandon an app, but um, the problem that I had was really a serious one because of the data storage model with Rome is on the web. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't see that they were going to, to give me the encryption I wanted. So, so uh, whereas Obsidian was saying, no, we're going to do it. And I just looked, it was October of last year that I went 100% in on Obsidian. Like there was like six months mm-hmm. there where I was jumping around, like, you know, uh, Rome, and then I would try craft and then I'd try Obsidian. And then, but the problem with an app like this is once you start putting your life into it, it's not an easy transition out of it. And I knew mm-hmm. that at some yeah. point I had to get on a single horse and ride that horse. And it yeah. was the uh, it was the encryption thing where ultimately decided you know what I'm just going to have faith that these Obsidian people are going to get the app up to speed and they did like within a few months of that Obsidian was very powerful. Mm-hmm. 
But that's cool. So where, where do people go if they want to participate in Obsidian in October? Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. It's, um, I mean, just the Obsidian forums. I think it's forum.obsidian.md. Um, you can find out a bit about the info there and the announcements. Um, and then joining the Discord, and there's a special channel uh, called Obsidian October. You can join to see what other people are up to. Um, and people are sharing what they're learning as they develop. And it's just, it, it really is um, a bit of serendipity, I think, to, to see a community form around such a, um, you know, relatable thing for so many people, note-taking, and yet um, everybody wants to help each other and build tools that uh, really change what people are able to do. No, I, yes. I was bragging about the MPU forums earlier. I feel like Obsidian's the same way. It's a very supportive yeah. environment. Whatever your problem is, somebody will try and help you. And for any of our listeners that look at the forum, by the way, and think, huh, this looks familiar. They're using the same forum software that mm-hmm. Automators and MacPower users uses, um, which, of course, is the best forum software at Discourse. Um, Although I, I really don't like the color scheme. I get it. You know, I get it. It's, <laughs> I it's switched a- it to light mode. I know that's heresy, but I did. Um it, it, I, I visit it most of the time during the day. I try to avoid visiting forums in the evenings. And now it's getting to winter. It's getting dark out earlier. Um, but yeah, I, I switched it to light mode. I'm sorry, that's, the Obsidian Forum. And I, I do love it. I'm old enough that the first computers I used all had like dark screen and green or orange text, you know. And, mm-hmm. and to me, the light screen represents the Mac. Like the Mac came into my life. That's when the light screen kind of like took over and it was like yeah this is a modern computer so now that everybody wants to go back to dark i i guess it's almost like a fashion thing but it's just not for me but uh right. the, the re- what i wanted to ask you you had said earlier you know javascript is not that difficult and i would agree because mm-hmm. um i did grow up a nerd and i have played with programming over the years but i am not a computer scientist and um i think javascript is something anybody can learn do you have any places you would recommend folks go to if they want to play with javascript or kind of pick up the basics? Well, I think I, I think worrying about learning JavaScript is probably the wrong way to start if you're just looking to, if you're using Obsidian and you want to play around with um, plugin development or theme development, it's probably best to just think of that. That's the main thing that I, uh, the main piece of advice that I would give anybody interested in learning how to code is sure. actually don't worry about, you know, picking a language or picking a, a tool set. Pick a project, pick something yeah. you want to build. Solve a problem. And mm. then solve the problem. Um, but there are a lot of, so actually a, a little bit of um, uh, important information. Obsidian is actually written most of the time using, and, and its plugins, written most of the time using TypeScript, which is a layer on top of JavaScript. And Rose, prob- you probably know way more about this than me. Uh, honestly, I, I shouldn't have been allowed to graduate with my degree. I, I definitely, <laughs> I, I did okay. I, I, did, I was an honor student, but only in the books, not in the development skills. Um, so I'm not actually that talented of a developer. Um, but uh, TypeScript helps with that because what TypeScript does, it uses, um, I guess, if, if you set it up right and there's lots of guides to doing so on the Obsidian forums, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're going to use an app like VS Code, which is a development environment. And it just gives really intelligent suggestions for what you should type next, basically. Um, and so uh, I would say if you want to get started in playing around with this, um, pick a, a project, pick something that you want to change about the experience of using Obsidian and then um, open up uh, the, the development environment, VS Code, and start playing with something that already exists. And that's the other amazing thing about the Obsidian community is that a lot of these plugins are open source. They're on GitHub. You can go and pull somebody else's plugin. Um, there, a lot of people are really good about commenting and explaining what everything's doing. Um, and you can actually just pick, pick it apart. So that's the, that's the other layer of learning this stuff, I would say pick a project and then find somebody who's doing something similar and reverse engineer that by literally looking at it. 
I, I, I would agree with that um, as well, just because there are it, it's so easy to go, oh, right. So the first stumbling block here is I need to learn how to code. I can't do that. And actually, Ryan, I have to go back to something you said. You said you shouldn't have been allowed to graduate with your degree because you, you don't feel like you really know what you're doing. Nobody mm. really does with programming. Like There are days when stuff does absolutely just flow and it, you know exactly what you're doing. But just like mm -hmm. with any job, there are days where you're sitting there staring at something going, why doesn't this work? Um, mm -hmm. And I've, I've had one of those days today, in case you can't mm. tell. Um, Sorry. <laughs> But uh, no, no, it's it's one of those things. I'm I'm learning to use uh, React, which I'm kind of yeah. familiar with, but it, it's it's a whole other thing in, in JavaScript. Um, but TypeScript definitely is. It does help make things easier. Um, and what happens for people who are interested a little bit more of the technical side is that should then be transpiled to JavaScript, um, it is, which yeah. it which then you know is what actually gets use inside of the plugin. Um, but it means that you can say, you know, for example, this thing has to be a Boolean or something, which you can't usually do in JavaScript. But because mm -hmm. you can do that in TypeScript, it does make programming a little easier. So I've got mm -hmm. some links to what TypeScript is generically, as well as Visual Studio Code and a link in the forums to uh, the Obsidian forums to how to start developing a plugin. But your mm -hmm. advice about pick something that does something similar already um, mm -hmm. and pick that apart, that is absolutely 100% where I would start every single time. And actually, whenever I want to create a complicated automation, even if I already know the language and I know how things work, I, I do that because you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, you you can't just steal um, and you should mm -hmm. because that that's how programming works. <laughs> I have an idea for Obsidian October for you, Ryan. Why don't you uh, tell me? Just run a screencast and open one of your plugins, you know, like your workbench, and just explain how it works and how you built it for folks who want to kind of follow in your wake and uh, give them a little bit of a boost. I know I'd watch it. That's a good idea. I I, uh, I can think about it. However, somebody else has already done that. Oh, really? Um, of course. Which might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so just last week, a user, uh, I forget the, your username, you know how usernames are, it's, yeah. they're rarely something that's easily pronounceable. Um, but uh, they developed or they ran a workshop on starting getting started with plugin development and walked through um, with a screencast. So I'll grab if that. If you can link. get us a link to that, I'll put that in the show notes. Absolutely. This episode of Automesis is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Do you ever type the same thing over and over and over again? Whether it's customer support answers, sales emails, or document edits, typing things repetitively or using copy and paste can be a burden. That's where Text Expander comes in. With Text Expander, you and your team can keep your message consistent, save time, and be more productive. Be accurate every time. The way we work is rapidly changing. Make work happen wherever you are by saying more in less time and with less effort using Text Expander. I use Text Expander for all sorts of things, like correcting common misspellings in URLs and uh, email addresses, as well as more complex things like making sure that the contact details that I provide to somebody are correct. And of course, it only contains the information that I want to give to them. And as a listener of Automators, you can get 20% off your first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Text Expander from Smile for their support of this show. And Relay FM. All right. So in the last segment, we spent some time talking about how to build your own tools for Obsidian. But I want to get into the nitty gritty of actually automating inside the application. Um, what are some of the automations that you rely upon when you're working inside Obsidian? Sure. Um, so fortunately, uh, I, I set up this Obsidian home screen just like last week, or, or at least published about it just last week, which outlines really a lot of the stuff that I do. 
Um, and this is on the iPhone and iPad, um, but I'm using shortcuts to drive a bunch of different interesting automations that just help hook right into important parts of what I keep in Obsidian and use what's in Obsidian to dynamically sort of drive what I'm doing with those shortcuts, which might sound complicated, but let me give a quick example. I've got a shortcut that uh, when I tap it on the home screen, it reads a file and that file is basically a list of projects, um, which are themselves notes. And then it opens one of those notes when I select. Um, and so the, the really cool thing about this the, and the thing that I, might not even be demonstrated that well by the example is that you're able to keep, so I, what's happening underneath this is actually the shortcut is reading the same file that I use to manage all my projects. It's just a Kanban. Yeah. It's in mm -hmm. Obsidian as a Kanban board, which is a list of links. And when I manage my projects on any platform, Mac or iOS, um, I'm moving stuff around on that Kanban. And then because Obsidian has plain, te plain text files underneath, it's really trivial for shortcuts to then read that list and do something with it. And so I've got this single source of truth for what's happening in um, my mind for my, the projects that I'm currently engaged in, the things that I pushed off on the back burner and the things mm -hmm. that I do this week. Um, and that shortcut drives uh, is driven by that single source of truth. And it's, I think that's a really powerful idea. You, you know, your notes are um, maintaining something that's happening in your life and let's use that to um, drive some interesting automations that help you get to it faster. I've just spotted, Ryan, I was just looking at your home screen again. And I've just zoomed in. You're using mm -hmm. Widget Pack as well as shortcuts because That's obviously right. Widget Pack you're creating from shortcuts. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Okay, mm -hmm. I have questions. We'll get to those in a second. <laughs> Happy to talk about them. Yeah, I, I've done a bunch of posts as well on the idea of a status board for your life. I think it's a really mm -hmm. good idea for people. And I kind of went on a journey. I was doing it in OmniGraffle. And, you know, URL links for me are always a great automation method to to mm -hmm. jump or contextually compute. But like you, I've kind of landed on Obsidian as the place for this because all the data is there. And that Kanban plugin is very good. Um, so I do a similar thing, mm. but but you've kind of gone a level deeper because you've made a shortcut that reads and interacts with Obsidian data. Um, the way I normally mm. do this stuff is I will make the shortcut that addresses an Obsidian URL or a specific file. And um, I think you know the way you've done it is is superior, frankly. Well, and it's all thanks to iOS 15, right? And the new yeah. files actions. They're yeah. way more powerful than what we had before. Um, so thanks to the shortcut team for building that. Yeah. And, and something people don't realize is that, um, Obsidian is actually very shortcuts friendly because at least for me, because I use the encrypted database function, that means that the way you store your data with Obsidian is you literally store it on the local storage of your phone or your iPad, which is unusual. You know, normally you put data in the iCloud or the Dropbox or something like that. But if you're using the encrypted database, you actually set the database up on your root, you know, local storage. And that is the most easily addressable space using shortcuts because it's your space. It doesn't have to go through some cloud provider. Mm -hmm. And that works with both Obsidian Sync, the paid service that they provide, which is incredibly fast and, and secure. Um, but it also works with iCloud Drive. You can do the same thing. Yeah. Um, and there are some advantages actually to using iCloud Drive for that purpose because it's synced in the background. Uh, yeah. So if you make change, if you make changes somewhere else, then hopefully the the shortcuts will be picking up the latest and greatest version of that file. Yeah, that that is a downside for me is that like I have some of my automation, Obsidian related automation, involves things like um, um, 
you know, doing things with drafts and then putting them into Obsidian, but then they won't sync until I actually open Obsidian because it doesn't see them to run it through its sync engine. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, a bit, and it's hard to do anything else about that because apps um, are sandboxed on on the iPad and iPhone. Yeah. Um, I saw. I'm jealous a little bit of Android. Um, I recently saw that some Samsung phones have the ability to permanently run apps in the background. Uh, so it's like it's easy yeah. to get there. Yeah. I, I both love that, but I also love the fact that on iOS apps can't just run in the background. So yeah. things like Facebook, who who were trying to do that thing oh, yeah. where they silently run audio in the background so that they could still do updates, like that got killed. And you know, yeah. some of these things you can't have it both ways, can you? No, so you yeah. yeah, yeah. Although I, I am a fan of walls of toggles. Like if they hid these things behind advanced preferences, and even if you yes. had to, you know, do something really fin- really strange to get to it, I would still love it. I think that's yeah. the protection like, there. Like yeah. hidden URL schemes. I know a couple mm-hmm. of uh, app developers have those built into their apps so that you can do things like change the default calendar um, yeah. that would be opened, but they don't necessarily want to present that to every user um, because, you know, people will change it and then get confused. Why doesn't it work? Because you want to install yeah. Fantastic out. That's why it doesn't work. Um, Yes. Uh, yeah, there, there are a lot of great things there um, with this. Um, and honestly, I love the fact that Obsidian is so easy to get things into because mm-hmm. that that for me is what made it click. I didn't, unlike uh, David, try Rome. I very briefly for about three minutes tried Craft. I couldn't mm-hmm. get on with the block editor. Um, mm-hmm. I've never really got on with Notion. I love how pretty it is, but it's not available offline, which for me is, is a killer because I the very least pre-pandemic used to fly a lot um, and I was not paying for data on every single flight that that would have been horrendously expensive um, so you know when I found Obsidian I was just there going right if I'm going to use any of these applications this is the one to use um, and then wow yeah bam it, it just solves a lot of problems surprisingly yeah. enough or not surprisingly exactly. really yeah uh, it- and I should be clear that a lot of those other apps are really neat. Um, oh, yeah, they are. And, and really well built. Um, but what I think is different about Obsidian and a few of the other options, I do think that DevonThink and Notion are also in this um, this class. I think of them as as environments. I talked earlier about development environments for coding. Um, but I've also written some pieces on uh, this idea of an integrated thinking environment. And what Obsidian and Notion and DevonThink and some others allow you to do is they're so customizable, right? They're built with this idea of personalizability in mind. Um, and because of that, you're able to build it to match whatever it is you're thinking about. So if you're running a law practice, then being able to actually sort of build in the ways you need to work and the kind of information you need to capture in straight into the environment, you can really get to some powerful, um, workflows that way that just aren't possible by taking another off the shelf app app and using it. Um, so I think that's, what's neat about Obsidian. Yeah, for me, this is really what makes it work. Not only is it, of course, a good application that, that that does exactly what it needs to, it's not just that it does exactly what it needs to, it's also that I can extend it and I don't have to extend it by extending it myself. Obviously, there is the ability to do that. We, we've talked about creating plugins. That's something I've yet to do because you know what? Every time I go to look to say, oh, did somebody do this already? They did. And so I just mm-hmm. end up installing it. Um, and some of the time it's URM, which I'm very pleased about. And some of the time it's it's other people. Um, I was just um, saying before the show, the advanced tables plugin in Obsidian is so good because you you create a new line in the table and it just automatically updates the markdown to space everything out and mm-hmm. things like that. And that that for me is, you know, the sort of things that make it a much better app because not only do I have, you know, all the features that I need with the brilliance of markdown, 
every time I, I need something new, either it's there or I do have the ability to create it myself. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not just us and our opinions about this. Um, there's that's over 350 plugins developed since the API yeah. was published a year ago. That's 350 plugins in a year. Um, and a couple of them have over 100,000 downloads. So this is we're talking about an extension of an app having 100,000 yeah. downloads. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, and I, I really think that um, it's just the automation element that makes Obsidian such a nerd trap for all of us. I mean, if you go on the MPO forums, there's a lot of people there that prefer um, craft and I get it because craft mm-hmm. is more of a native app experience. It, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's more Mac friendly, even though, you know, it's, it's really built for iOS and iPad. Um, whereas obsidian is a different animal, but it is the automation element. It's the ability to internalize ad templates. It's the ability to add a Kanban plugin and build your own personal, uh, project management system into the app. It's just like, it's the way that the thing morphs into whatever you need it to be. And if you want to spend a weekend uh, getting comfortable with JavaScript, the, the fact that you can build your own features into it, I mean, that is crazy. And then they they brought it to the iPad and iPhone, and I never expected this, but they brought the entire plugin architecture with it. So those cool plugins mm-hmm. you make for the Mac work on the iPhone and the iPad too. It's it is bananas. I mean, I was saying before we mm-hmm. started recording that that the three of us could probably do a five hour podcast today about Obsidian. I guess we shouldn't do that though. <laughs> maybe next time, David. Uh, maybe maybe one last point, just because this is the automators and because we do love URL schemes. That uh, there is a recent um, plugin actually built for Obsidian October um, that. Creates it lets you create your own URL schemes for Obsidian, so or launch your own URL schemes from Obsidian. Sorry, um, and so you can take the content of a note and ship it out to shortcuts really easily with that plugin. Um, and I think it's it's named self descriptively. I think it's called URL schemes, um, but I'll try to find a note uh, link for the show notes. Uh, thank you. That would be wonderful. Sure. I've I, not seen this yet, and yeah. I need that. <laughs> I, I think you just wrecked my weekend, Ryan. Thanks. <laughs> Yep, yep. I lost last weekend to my blog. I'm losing this weekend to Obsidian. I am fine with this. This is yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is, yep. But like even with URLs though, it does have like if you go into the Obsidian forums, I had cooked together this really this really creaky looking um uh, keyboard maestro script to pull a, a URL link and build it out of Obsidian before they had it. Then one day they just added the feature of, you know, get shareable link and uh, but I have added that to the keyboard shortcut. This is a very basic automation, but command U for me in Obsidian gets me the URL link of the current note. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. I'm dropping that into my dev and think database, my OmniFocus project. And all of a sudden my computer just dances around a project like nobody's business. And it's because they put mm-hmm. features like that in. It's a beautiful thing. By the way, did you know that the there's an advanced URI um, plugin yes. which extends the Obsidian URL scheme? Yeah. Um, and it actually has a feature, it's in the configuration, so uh, go into preferences and click on advanced URI, um, but you can enable a um, unique identifier yeah. mode for advanced URI, um, which can help if you've got a lot of notes with the same names. Yes, yes, because I end up doing that. Yeah, I've downloaded that one. I haven't spent time with it yet, but that one's on my list. But yeah, it's just it's hard to keep up with all these plugins. I mean, I've been preaching about building your own, but honestly, keeping up with the ones other people are building is is tough enough. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It is, but also you don't necessarily actually need to. I, it's so tempting to go, oh, I need to stay on top of this stuff. But I've found with these things, 
as much as it's cool to know, wow, this is a cool thing I can do, that does end up being a lot of rabbit holes for me, mm, where I then true. end up accidentally going and spending a weekend updating my blog when really what I intended to do was the first 10 minutes and add a search. Um, and that was it. And guess what? I shipped that. Um, and then, you know, two days later, I've done a whole bunch of other things as well. Um, but what what I really like is when I then go and search for things like being surprised by this stuff and finding things you know, then rather than having something show up and then my brain immediately starts going, how can I fit this into my workflow? I find, especially automation wise, it's it's better to wait until you find a need to solve before <laughs> you try to use the tool instead of trying to shoehorn a tool that maybe doesn't fit quite yet into your life. Are, are you guys using any automation workflows on mobile to get text into Obsidian? Because I find the actual process of adding text in Obsidian to be pretty um, tedious um, on mobile, mm -hmm. you know, because you've got to get the app open, you've got to get to a note. I, I, I greatly prefer uh, using drafts for capture still. And then I just create a little drafts action that saves the note to a folder in Obsidian and then it's there for me. But I was curious, how are you guys handling that? I don't know. Is this a setup? Because I, I just launched a plugin that helps with that. Um, I, ah, I didn't exactly. know you did. Right? Honestly, I can't yeah, keep yeah. up. So, uh, no, actually, this Tell is us a about setup. This plugin, Ryan. I totally know. Everybody, <laughs> did, everybody just pretend you didn't hear what I just admitted. I No, Ryan, I'm totally aware of this. And now, could you please explain? Ah, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, Lumberjack is a new plugin. And, and the whole idea that I, I, I was jealous of drafts, right? I love the idea of drafts. Um, I've certainly used it as a sort of scratch pad for, for many years, but I could never get my head around the idea of putting a bunch of ideas or thinking in one place and then having to move it somewhere else just as a sort of fundamental law of using the app. And now I know that Agile Tortoise um, has built out a lot of new features that support just keeping the text in the app, which is great. Uh, fantastic. But I, I was, I'm sticking with Obsidian and I was jealous of that workflow where you tap the drafts icon and then you're able to write within seconds, right? And so um, Lumberjack is a plugin I just built and released for Obsidian that um, has two functions. They're both URL scheme based. And the idea is to write, if you write Obsidian colon slash slash log, that's why it's Lumberjack because you're logging, um, it will <laughs> automatically open your daily note in Obsidian and create a uh, list item of whatever prefix you want underneath whatever heading you want, and you can just start writing right away. It loads the edit mode and it loads your keyboard right in front of you. Um, so you're ready to go. So it doesn't it doesn't work just uh, or exactly as perfectly as drafts does. Agile Tortoise definitely benefits from the native uh, native tech stack that drafts is built on. Um, and so for instance, if you haven't opened Obsidian in a while, it might need to load that kind of thing. So hopefully mm -hmm. you don't forget your thought during that moment. But if you're opening Obsidian a lot, it works really well. Um, so that's Lumberjack. Is there a possibility to pass some data into this via um, uh, a parameter. Um, mm -hmm. So I can imagine that then I might actually, because what I do at the moment, which uh, for full disclosure, I do not recommend this, but this is what I'm doing because this is what I was doing before I started using Obsidian Sync. I actually have Dropbox write into drafts. Uh, sorry, uh, drafts write into Dropbox folders. Mm -hmm. I have one computer which is set up, which syncs my Dropbox um, folder with Obsidian and Obsidian Sync. So I am double syncing. And just be very clear, if you want to do this, one computer. Do not do this on more than one computer. That will break yeah. all of the things. One computer only. Everything else is using Obsidian Sync. So what happens then is that, that one computer goes, new stuff in Dropbox, pull it into Obsidian. And then, of course, it ends up in Obsidian Sync. Um, and this helps because I have some things which 
just append stuff to lists and things like that. Um, and that's very easy to do via drafts, of course, um, with the append action and in, in inside of the Dropbox um, mm-hmm. actions. But um, of course, you 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 know. I, I want the data in Obsidian. That's where the data lives. That's the right place for the data. The data shouldn't live in drafts forever. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure that what I've got there is really a good solution. I should spend a bit more time with the URL schemes, in particular the advanced uh, one, uh, the advanced plugin, because I've yet to really dive into that. Um, and I think that that would probably solve the problem though of course the beauty of the dropbox action is it can run entirely in the background and Mm -hmm. then the draft just disappears um because i do still pretty much open drafts to capture most things um which is good but i should also look into making a pop clip extension for obsidian maybe somebody already did that yeah i haven't seen one but i wouldn't be surprised um i I will say so i I was thinking about adding parameters and then i held back um because I, i really want the the plugin to be as simple as possible i want people to recognize that it's just like just one word just write log and that's it um, but I'm playing with the idea of adding parameters because I think it would be a fun sort of secret feature. Um, but even outside of that, Rose, I would consider using base shortcuts files actions. I don't know mm. how well you can write to Dropbox with that, but I actually have a simple make note shortcut. I can share it in the notes. Um, and it runs entirely in the background and will append whatever you say out loud to uh, your daily note. Well, on my iPhone, of course, um, everything is um, talking to um to just the Dropbox API. Um, but right. um, Sorry, Drafts is talking to the Dropbox API, but the actual um, Obsidian application is talking to Obsidian Sync, which is then right. saved on my phone. So that that yeah. is available in the Files app. Um, right. I would just have to make sure my Drafts action knows, at least for the time being, whether I'm on my Mac or my iPhone or iPad, uh, mm-hmm. which fortunately, Drafts actions, you can say this step should run on macOS and this step should run on iOS and you can uncheck it in each so I can actually have two steps inside of the action and just say one of these is for macOS, one of these is for iOS, because um, macOS, of course, the current release, as we record, before we record Monterey, mm-hmm. will, uh, before we release, Monterey will have been released, but I won't, I'm not upgrading to that for a little while after it releases, just because I, I don't want to break all of the things at the same time. Yeah, I haven't touched it for that reason. <laughs> but yeah, that's brilliant. What, what you're talking about is brilliant. Um, and Shortcuts now has some, something similar on uh, uh, iOS and iPad where you can detect device really easily. Um, yes. So you can also do something similar there if you're doing something different on an iPad or an iPhone. Yes, yeah. Which until all of the apps support all of the actions in Shortcuts, we're going to need mm-hmm. to do anyway. Um, and as it is, you have to do with some things because if you set up a vibrate um, option and then you try and run that shortcut on macOS, it just goes, I know what to do, I'm going to stop here. It's like, come on, macOS. You you could realize that you can't vibrate. Or maybe you can just do something silly with the speakers. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think it'd be cool if the, the they like max up the fans a little bit and the Mac shook back and forth on your desk or something. That would be that'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Yep. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Stripe. Many leaders of adaptive businesses choose Stripe as their payments platform. Because with Stripe, businesses can easily optimize their payments infrastructure, simplify their expansion plans, and create new revenue streams, all to help them grow and initiate change rather than having to react to it. In fact, businesses such as Shopify, Postmates, and Twilio use Stripe to power their global payments. And to add to that list of companies is Relay FM. Relay's trusted Stripe to manage payments since 2016. It's a huge benefit that they can accept more than 135 different currencies and payment methods, which means more time can be spent on hosting and prepping for shows, while Stripe helps to handle the payments. Stripe ranked highest for strategy and current offering in the 2020 Forrester Wave Report on merchant payment providers. 
And their current offering is so comprehensive and versatile with Stripe's products powering payments for a wide variety of businesses from online and in-person retailers to subscription businesses, software platforms and marketplaces, as well as everything in between. So head to stripe.com if you'd like to learn more about how Stripe and their products can support your business. That's stripe.com to learn more today. Our thanks to Stripe for their support of this show and Relay FM. Ryan, you had said that you have a 10-month-old. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks. And uh, I was curious, uh, someone that has an eye for automation like you, are you bringing those skills to bear on the parenting? Yeah, as much as possible. Right? We can't automate diaper changes uh, yet. What a shame. You can do a lot of other things. Um, and so... But actually, this relates really deeply to the last episode uh, sort of recording, uh, the micro automations episode of Automators, because um, mm-hmm. a lot of these things are really simple. But I, I think I think I really wanted to talk about this topic on Automators, because if anybody listening is a new parent or is about to be a parent or knows a new parent, um, this is not this is an untapped area of helping with the new parent lifestyle. Um, I, the, the Venn diagram that's overlapping uh, that overlaps parenting blogs with Automation is just, it's not a thick wedge there, um, but it should <laughs> it be. It doesn't because, exist at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. There is actually a great site called Fathercraft where they review a lot of um, uh, parenting tech, but they don't, they don't seem to do a lot of software stuff. Um, but what was I thinking? The, uh, the, a lot of these micro automations are actually incredibly useful uh, for, you know, the harried, um, distracted, over like, overly exhausted life of somebody dealing with a newborn, and so that's why mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about this here because like they're so basic that you really you're, you're going to laugh at them. And I have a great story, I think, or at least an entertaining story at my expense. Um, but uh, it's the the fundamental idea is to to for for potential parents or new parents to uh, think about how using little tiny automations can take things off your mind when you're already just like so distracted. So you yeah. want to hear the story? That, Go for it. Tell us. Yeah. Okay. So um, I don't know if you, if, if you've, uh, as Merlin Mann put in the recent episode of Back to Work, if you've ever owned or leased a kid, um, <laughs> you'll know that they're not supposed to be, uh, uh, the, that sleep is kind of important, that uh, sleep is fragile. It's, it's fragile for everyone. But when you get the newborn down and, and she's finally asleep, you really want to make sure that, you know, she stays asleep and you don't do anything to distract. So you're creeping out of the room and you're you have this like map in your head of every single object on the nightstand. So you don't knock anything over um, and you're trying to sneak into bed and so on. So it's really sort of um, fragile. And uh, hopefully I'm not traumatizing anybody who's, who's recently gone through this. Cause I definitely have some, some horror stories in my mind of bumping into something. Just, just what Ryan, Ryan, just wait till they get yeah. old enough to have Lego. That's all I'm saying. Then it's like <laughs> navigate the room without stepping on one. Be grateful you don't live in the UK with our plugs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I hear you. I I mean, there's there's more to come. I know, but um, for those first few months, anyway, it was still it was still very scary. Um, but uh, okay, so I have home pods, and I just talked mm-hmm. about not wanting to bump into things, right? Um, and I was going to bed at night, and we'd just gotten the newborn down an hour ago. She she's we've been really lucky. She sleeps really well. Um, but, uh, I was putting away my phone on the nightstand and what did I do, but tap accidentally tap the top of the home pod and what blares, but like 60% volume metal or whatever I'd been listening to before. And, um, I, I immediately 
to tap it repeatedly and it's kind of slow to respond. So you tap it once and then it doesn't necessarily shut off right away. So you tap it again and then it shuts off and then it turns on again. So you can imagine the moment um, mm-hmm. that we were yep. having that my, me and my wife were having. Um, the amazing thing is that the baby didn't wake up. Just, yeah. But it still led to, you know, elevated heart rates and staying awake for the next hour, panicking about what I'd just done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first time I did it, but I actually did it a second time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I can imagine that. As yeah. somebody who's recently discovered that when she whispers to her HomePod in the evening, oh, it no. is currently yelling back at me. So I'm there yeah. and I'm really tired. I'm just getting into bed and I'm saying really quietly, like, you know, turn off, uh, turn off the light. And then it's okay. I have turned off the light. But yeah. Thank you. I, yes. Anyway, thank Way you. HomePod. Cheerful. I yeah. feel like whoever programmed that capacitive touch trigger on those home pods i think that guy went to lunch too early that day because they are so <laughs> sensitive they, they're both way too sensitive but also too slow to respond and then when they because of that it feels like they're not sensitive enough like i'm, yeah. not, I'm not quite sure what's going on with them maybe this is the reason why the home pod isn't actually available for sale anymore maybe that's yeah. it they decided that they needed to update that sensor and they've maybe, maybe. secretly fixed it in the new home pod minis maybe Maybe the colorful ones. Um, but yeah. the, so, so uh, before we get away from the from mm-hmm. the story, there is a solution to this, right? I yeah. run an automation now um, that at a certain time of night automatically sets the volume of all the HomePods to zero. You can't control the voice volume that way. Like Rose just said, that there's actually a bug that prevents the HomePods from remembering the voice volume. But yep. at least if you tap it or accidentally hit play on your phone or something, it's not going to show uh, or play music at extreme volumes after you've yes. gotten the baby to bed. Yes, that that yeah. is something I actually do as well. I have it um, automatically do it in the evening and it does it in the morning as well. Um, because um, so if I'm playing, you know, music overnight, then it, it's usually that I want it fairly quiet in my bedroom and nowhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the morning, I would then want the music to be everywhere again. So I actually have that sorted. I've got a bonus trick for you here, autom- uh, automation wise, Ryan, which is mm-hmm. also on your iPhone, uh, have an automation run and set the audio um, destination um of your your iphone to your iphone or mm-hmm. something instead of to the home pods just because that way it's it's not gonna like try and play somewhere and you're not gonna be confused why it's not playing um mm-hmm. and it is it's just playing at zero percent volume to a home pod um so that that's something else i use as well i have a whole series of automations related to audio output so uh, mm-hmm. maybe maybe that can be used as well yeah, I did that once. I, I was I was playing audio and I had my headphones on and it wasn't playing and I kept turning the volume up until I realized that I was blasting a podcast into the HomePod in the next room and my kids were very upset with me. So, yeah, I get it. How are you triggering that automation, Ryan? Yeah, just, just with the, the automation tab and shortcuts. Yeah, the timer. The is that automation. a HomeKit automation yeah. that you're using or is that a, a, a personal automation? Uh, personal automation. Yeah. Just that like, yeah. it, I think it runs at seven o'clock at night. Yeah. Like personal that. timing yeah. base. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do this as well with the home um, app. I actually have a, a scene set up in uh, home home kit because, um, or I've got two scenes for this, of course, because one of them is for, you know, turn the volume down everywhere, um, but not so much in the bedroom. And then one of it's turn the volume um, to the same level everywhere. Um, and so I did this with a scene in, um, uh, in the home app. Um, which mm. you can create scenes in, in the uh, in the uh, shortcuts app as well. Um, and what you can do there is um, you just select your accessories, which would be your home pods, and then under media it defaults to audio, play audio. But you can actually just say adjust volume only, and then you can set um, a custom volume level. Um, but one word of warning: if you do this, 
Mm. which, you know, is is a bonus and a failing at the same time. If you do this, it will group all of the devices that you have in that scene together when this action runs. Mm. Now, this can be a good thing because it means that you group everything together with a scene and you play and then all of those HomePods play. But that can also be a curse because they all play together the next time. Um, so the way around that is a scene per... Um, per HomePod um, or per audio grouping that you actually want to keep. Um, and that is not ideal, but I mean, it, it depends on what you want. So uh, yeah, that is, uh, that's how I do it. But I, mm-hmm. I should possibly look into the personal automations for the nighttime one, actually. I can't believe I didn't think of that. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely saved my butt uh, in the future um, <laughs> or in, since, since I changed it, because uh, I'm sure I tapped it accidentally more than once. Of course, yes. I could also just move the HomePod or something, but that's too easy. Yes, you could move the HomePod. You could also set up an automation that when you start playing audio on a HomePod um, after 7pm, it, it immediately pauses it. But that seems like it's very prone to error. So, yeah. uh... <laughs> well, I, right. And that's a great point is the flip of this is is being aware of all the automations you set up. Uh, I yeah. remember recently I was getting frustrated because I was playing music in the morning and then it would get turned down um, to 30% volume. And I thought that my wife was changing. She was annoyed at whatever I was listening to or something. But no, of course, it was me being stupid. Um, and forgetting that I had a, an automation set up to reset the volume so that it goes back from being zero to 30% at like 7.30 in the morning. Um, and so I was, I was erroneously angry at, at my wife, so I apologize to her. <laughs> <laughs> yes, knowing when you've made a mistake and it's affecting, uh, and then you blame somebody else for doing the thing, um, yeah. it's, it's quite important. Yeah, I, I find for as automators, if you ever find your tech behaving strangely, you should definitely take a look at your yeah. shortcuts app because especially that automations tab, because it is really easy to have them bump into each other in ways you don't expect. Probably blame yourself before you blame others. <laughs> if you're, if you're this geeky. Yes. This is the problem with living alone. I have nobody else to blame for a while. I, I was fostering a cat and it was really easy to blame her for stuff. And it turned out it was actually her some of the time, um, especially the kitchen tap turning on. Um, she, she was staring at me going, that was definitely not me. No, so much. I, ha- I had it on video. It was her. Um, and she did the most inelegant flump into the sink as she fell off the kitchen windowsill that time. Um, but uh, a lot of the time it was me. Though mm. the tail on the HomePod triggering audio while I was podcasting, that 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 was pretty much the same thing as uh, right. as, as yours, uh, Ryan. Only, of course, with mine, it was considerably less disastrous consequences. <laughs> uh, all right. Lay some more parenting automation on us. Sure. Um, so the, a fun one that I actually wrote about on the MPU forum uh, was the go time shortcut, which, you know, you're you're waiting for uh, the day to arrive when baby is due. And so yep. you don't want to stress about how many families, of course, it's COVID times, right? So nobody's here with us. Um, yeah. We have to tell everybody everything all the time. Um, and so I created this little shortcut that um, got the directions to the hospital and uh, message to all of the families and um did a couple other things and I can't remember exactly what. And then the most important part was it started to play the Mission Impossible theme off of the the iPhone. Um, nice. So there was a bit of intensity to the moment uh, of trying to rush out the door. Um, yes. So that one was kind of fun, although uh, it wasn't necessarily that practical. Um, but a few of the others that were super practical, and again, they're more examples of micro automation than they are of anything else. Um, <laughs> but a, a laundry shortcut, right? It's, it's so important to have some Siri-friendly shortcuts that actually are heard when you yell it out at the top of your lungs over crying on a on a HomePod 
Um, and so I have this shortcut. It's simply called laundry, and it just creates a persistent reminder using do for an hour from now to go, you know, take the laundry out of the washer and put it in the dryer. Um, it, parenting is in, it, new new baby parenting means doing laundry like four times a day. So this thing has been activated many many times. Yes, yeah, I I, I like that because that that is something. I mean, I I have um overcomplicated uh, version of this, which uh, I have uh, some plugs doing power monitoring connected to my washer and dryer. Um, fortunately, the ones that I've got are, are rated for that. Um, and I have Home Assistant watching them uh, going through the different stages. So if I look at my Home Assistant dashboard, I can see what stage it's in. And the, the pit that I need to hook up next is a sensor, uh, a door sensor on the washer and dryer door. So it knows automatically once I've opened it. So it can then uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, go in and remove the task to take the stuff out of the machine. Um, and uh, yeah, but I think honestly, a timer is the correct solution for the vast majority of people. For me, it was a case of, but I really want to see how far I can go yeah. with this, which sometimes is a good reason to automate and sometimes is not such a great reason. It really no. depends. I'm jealous. That sounds a lot like a lot of fun. I would think another good micro automation for a new parent would be uh, various forms of photo sharing, you know, whether it be to uh, mm -hmm. select message group or email list or something, because, you know, when you have a new baby, everybody wants pictures. Yeah. And to be honest, we haven't figured out a great solution for that. Um, I do think if we'd gotten everybody onto like a shared iCloud photo library, that would have been the best thing, but we just haven't figured it out. I do have a simple send to the fam shortcut that will take a, take the photo that I choose and send it to an iMessage group uh, from for two sets of families and send it to a WhatsApp group for a third set of families. Um, and that definitely has saved my me time uh, yeah. quite a few times in a week. Yeah, I wish there was an automation for publishing to iCloud because that is something you can do so you don't have to share the library with people. You can just publish things. Um, of course, I, I'm not sure whether or not that comes behind, uh, comes with the option to password protect it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if that could be automated, that would be really cool. The other thing that I've done for my parents is actually um, the Synology um, software, They're, the photo station inside of that, that can share albums. And so their, their albums are shared with me, with my grandparents, my uncle, um, which means that all of the photos that my dad went back and digitized, of course, are there, which is a huge amount of family history dating back to the 1950s. Um, and it's all shared with all of us, which is amazing, though it doesn't come with a notification of, my dad just added 50,000 photos. Go check it out. Uh, fortunately, he's not adding so many anymore. <laughs> Although I would say those shared libraries are, it's, I realize it's not really automation, but that is a really good solution for this problem if you have a family in the Apple ecosystem. And that kind of just solves the problem. You save it to the, to the shared library and then everybody gets it. Uh, even the, the rudimentary commenting system Apple has put in place is, I find, good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's on my to do list to figure it out um, because it uh, we're going to be doing this for a long time. So it's not I that hard. Definitely I mean, you want just, a SQL solution. Yeah, you, you set it up and you put their names in, is and they get an invite. And the the trick is hopefully hopefully the other people on the other end are technically savvy enough to click the accept button and understand how to get it. And and by default, uh, the iPhone gives them notifications. I mean, we've got. We've got so many of these with the new babies in my family that they fill them up and they have to start like after two or three years, they have like volume two of the shared library because the you know, they take so many pictures. Um, but even amazing. my daughter, my older daughter, who's off to college, she has one about her college adventures and she puts pictures in there just to kind of placate her parents. And we, we enjoy looking at them and seeing how she's doing and, you know. Mm -hmm. 
making sure she's that's eating. A, that's such and, a nice idea. You know, all that stuff. Yeah. No, that's such a nice idea. It, and it's it's a neat example of like maybe the next step of, of uh, social media too, right? Like these are all really private social media channels for people. Yeah. Um, Amen. That's a really exciting Amen. development. Uh, yeah. Uh, what about, are there some parenting challenges that you want to automate that you haven't other than diapers, of course? Yeah. Uh, no, that's a great question. I, I mean, I'm curious about other people's solutions to the photo sharing thing. Cause not everybody in our family is on, um, uh, Apple devices. So, yeah. I mean, um, I did just they're... look at that actually, Ryan, because oh, I was yeah? curious and it does say actually here, you can even share albums with friends and family who don't use iCloud. Uh-huh. Um, just open the shared album you created, go to the people tab and turn on public website. Your photos are published to a website that anyone can see in an up-to-date web browser. So right. of course this is, there is a little bit of security to this in the obscurity of the URL, but I presume right. anybody that comes across that link can use it. Um, but yeah, uh, fingers mm-hmm. crossed that might actually solve part of your problem. Mm-hmm. That's something to think about. The public web is definitely something I'd want to avoid, but uh, yeah. there's got to be yeah. a solution. There, there has to be somewhere. I mean, I, I, I probably end up looking at the Synology stuff myself, but I'm aware that for a lot of people, setting up a Synology and connecting it and everything is probably overkill uh, mm-hmm. for you. But it is a solution that definitely works and keeps the photos physically at home for you, which mm-hmm. is always a nice bonus. Yeah, I should I should look into it. I'm going to tell you about your future of automated parenting, Ryan, because you <laughs> have told me your dear little daughter is 10 months old. Pretty soon, yeah. if not already, she's going to start booking it across your house, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I see in Ryan's future the acquisition of some motion sensors and <laughs> um, you know some some home kit and automation tools. So you can some, find your child when yes, she goes missing. Yeah, some cameras. <laughs> I, I think we need to have you back in a couple of years and have the toddler automation episode because I feel like a guy like Ryan is going to nail this stuff down. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm I, definitely going to keep doing it to try and make our lives easier. Um, so by all means, book me out. <laughs> Consider it done. There is one other thing that I would I, that might be more interesting to people. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So one, one other shortcut that might be valuable is uh, there's a lot of to-dos. There's a lot of daily tasks when you, especially with like a three-month-old. Um, and it, it, depending on how neurotic you are, we're fairly high on the neuroticism scale. I think about, about our little kiddo, um, there's a lot of little things that you need to set up. So I had a couple of shortcuts that run basically this timed routine. So it draws from a note, which has, um, a certain syntax. So I, I wrote out the day's tasks in like, uh, a number of minutes and then an M and a colon, and then the task. And then the shortcut will take that. And depending on when we wake up because it's relative, um, it'll program out all these little reminders, 24 or so different reminders throughout the day that uh, tend, to, tend to need to be done at a certain time uh, in order to make sure that everything's running smoothly. That is really smart. I've been doing some similar things as well um, with, with reminders that get set when I wake up um, where it goes through um, it, and it looks at what's on my calendar for the day and sets um, an mm-hmm. actual alarm on my phone 15 minutes before certain events um, and 13 minutes before other events. Um, but the concept of spacing out reminders from when I wake up hadn't yet occurred to me. Mm-hmm. So stealing that one, Ryan, stealing that from <laughs> you. I'm, I'm well, not a parent, but automations are for everyone. I think I could share the shortcut. I'll, I'll format the the note so that it's uh, worth uh, or able to be shared. Not I'll, I can share that. And you guys are definitely both more neurotic than I am. Just 
I just want to say that because I never would occur to me to set one relative to the time I wake up. But hey, well, sometimes you do need to do things, you know, like an hour or so after you get up, you want to remember to do this or whatever. Yeah, I get um, it. But you I don't know cool. when you're going to wake up. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and it's the baby, right? The baby needs to be awake for three hours before you put her down for her nap for two hours, which yeah, needs yeah. to lead to. Yeah. I yeah. get it. I get it. I will say that if you have two or three more kids at some point, you probably won't be running that anymore. <laughs> no, I, I, admittedly I've stopped using it. I used it for the first couple of weeks and then yeah. I, I got into the rhythm, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was especially important for the early days when you had to set up a humidifier and um, plug in certain devices and unplug other devices. And it was all those checklists, right? It goes by so fast, man. Yeah. Were you triggering that one, Brian, based on um the the shortcut automation trigger for wake up um with the with the sleep integration, or were you just triggering that manually? I was triggering it manually because it depended on when the baby woke up. So Ah, uh, right. Gotcha. Yeah. Although you could do motion detection, probably. <laughs> Make that work. Probably, but I, I would be slightly concerned that maybe that's the sort of thing where it would go wrong. Because you, you to create the reminders, you would actually need to hand that off to a phone anyway. Um, so you're going to need something like Pushcut Automation Server for that, which is you know increasing yeah. the complexity of this um, yeah. and the, the barrier to entry somewhat. And then you could send those reminders either to the Reminders app or to the Do app, I would assume, if mm. you really had mm-hmm. something that was like a hard reminder. I actually have a problem with automating creating reminders in the Jew app using the Jew actions because it opens Jew every time. So what I'm doing instead when I create Jew reminders is I add them all to a Jew list in reminders. Um, and then at the end of the shortcut, I open the Jew app, which imports everything from that list. I wonder that um, I, I don't see Jew opening up when I run the laundry shortcut that I've got. So maybe it's just a little config somewhere. I don't find that much use for um, automating do because I use it for just a few very specific things. And I just don't need to create a lot of things and do. I mean, my life yeah. isn't such that I need to be nagged about everything. But the um, but it, it is got a pretty powerful automation um, support. I mean, you can do a lot with shortcuts and do. They they've done a good job of implementing it. Yeah, and sorry, Rose, you're right. I'm I'm doing the same thing. I'm adding a reminder to a special uh, reminders list that gets sucked up in a do. But yeah, David, you're right. It, it do it do has saved my my life quite a bit the last year. But it's it's almost like I feel like if you use it too much, then it loses its effectiveness. Um, you start to yes. it, it's easier to ignore it if it starts going off, you know, five times a day. It's true. Or how many do I have? Let's just count. Uh, I'm guessing fifteen. Wow! <laughs> wow, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, ten. Closer to ten. Yeah. Maybe I'm using an old do action then that does that. No, no. Um, sorry, Rose. You're right. I, I double checked my work. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Darn it. Yeah. Darn it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, it was, it's always worth asking just in case, because sometimes other people have found this. Because So there are three different due actions inside of Shortcuts. There's one under text, which is add due reminder. And then there's due create repeating reminder and due create reminder. Mm-hmm. Um, and the repeating reminder, I believe, is sort of like for daily or weekly things. Um, and let me just test to see. I'm just going to double check again myself, because I'm never sure mm-hmm. um, if I'm doing this. Oh, there's a show and run option. Oh, maybe ah, this adds it in the background. Fix it, yeah. yeah, okay. So there are finally, I don't know when those got added. Obviously, I've missed those. Guess I might need to rework some shortcuts. On the <laughs> other hand, I could just leave it because it works. Um, so have to decide yeah. there what, what the correct solution is. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Devin Think from 
Devon Technologies. Go to devonthinktechnologies.com slash automators to get organized and unleash your creativity. Best of all, with this link, you'll get 10% off. DevonThink is the flagship product of Devon Technologies. With DevonThink, you get the most powerful document and information management application for the Mac. It's the one place for storing all your documents, snippets, and bookmarks and working with them. The integrated AI assists you with filing and searching, while the extensive search language and advanced Boolean operators help you out as well. DevonThink features a flexible sync system that supports many cloud services or lets you synchronize over the local network too with everything securely encrypted, which gives you the choice of however syncing works best for you. It also has smart rules and flexible reminders that let you automate all parts of your workflow and delegate boring, repeating tasks. Let DevonThink automatically organize your tasks with rules you define. Automators are going to love DevonThink for these automation rules, and I use it extensively for this purpose. DevonThink's AppleScript dictionary is one of the largest on the Mac. There's no part of DevonThink that can't be automated. Extend DevonThink's functionality with your own commands by adding them to its scripts menu. Even templates can have scripts inside, and you can set up new documents and data from placeholders or inserted by your own AppleScript code. And of course, there's so much more from an iOS companion app to email archiving, scanning, and even an embedded web server for sharing your data securely with your team. DevonThink gives me so many of the tools that I rely upon. It allows me to securely sync my data using my own encrypted password. It also gives me the ability to link anywhere in the database. I feel like that's one of DevonThink's secret features. So you can link anything. So if you want to do contextual computing like I do, and you want to have an OmniFocus task that jumps to a DevonThink document, it's simply a matter of copying a single link, which, by the way, can be automated. Now, you can get 10% off DevonThink 3 or upgrade to it right now. Just go to devontechnologies.com slash automators. Once again, that's devontechnologies.com slash automators for 10% off. And our thanks to Devon Technologies for the support of the automators and all of Relay FM. Ryan, when we were prepping for the show today, you talked about the idea of augmented intelligence as automation Mm -hmm. for a tool for this. And I thought that was kind of a fascinating topic. Can you explain that for the audience? Yeah, happily. Um, This comes from the word or the phrase augmented intelligence comes from, I think it was Doug Engelbart, one of the, you know, four founding, founding people of computing. He's at a Xerox park. He came up with a lot of the ideas that Apple ended up adopting into its early operating systems and um, made the computer what it is today. So Doug was really excited about this idea of augmented intelligence, how, computers shouldn't just be these like rote convenience tools, but they should help us think bigger and think better. Um, And that uh, kind of work has evolved a little bit. If you're into research and you want to look into augmented cognition, there's some work at a DARPA, um, the defense agency in the States, where they're interested in how people who are in combat situations um, are thinking and responding or changing how the tech that they're using works, depending on, you know, how stressed a fighter is or whatever, Um, which is obviously a hard context to relate to. But I still think there's something there about having our tools respond to not only our contexts, um, but also us and whatever we're going through or whatever we're Mm -hmm. dealing with. So for a a quick story, I'm a a PhD candidate. Um, I wrote my comprehensive exams a couple of years ago. Um, It's kind of like, you know, trying to pass the bar for a lawyer, writing a licensing exam for another professional. It's very 
intense. I had to read something like 300 papers um, and a textbook or three uh, in order to prep. And, you know, I'm an anxious person. I think the deeper solution here would have been for me to get a counselor 10 years ago. But since I, I didn't do that, um, I had to fight my anxiety with other ways, my anxiety about this exam. Um, and so I built out this little shortcut that uh, is working with these ideas of augmented intelligence. And the idea is to um, it's similar to the setups that people have talked about um, sure. in the past couple of years. Um, but all, all it does is it asks what I'm going to work on, how long I'm going to work on it. Um, and then it does a little thing where it creates some check-ins. Uh, and these are simple reminders that show up at randomly interspersed uh, intervals in the next during the period that I'm planning on working. And uh, with random sort of phrases you, that check in on my status. And the whole point is to simply give me a thing that I'm not waiting for, because if it was evenly spaced, it wouldn't make any sense. You could just ignore it. Instead, right. it shows up when you're not expecting it. Um, and it says, how's it going? You know, are you procrastinating? If so, maybe you should try meditation. Or if so, maybe you should um, consider changing your modes or thinking about whatever is on the top of your mind that's distracting you or whatever. And the the, the fundamental idea here is to make the phone sort of this... Um, governor of my time and my anxiety and to try and fight the instincts that I have to avoid whatever is in front of me that's scary um, in order to keep me on task and get me through that comprehensive exam. And I'm a, I am a PhD candidate. That means that I passed. So I guess something about it worked. Although there probably is a good argument that uh, if I hadn't spent so much time fiddling with automations, I probably would have done even better. But that's <laughs> where we are. Well, no, I, I think there's really something to this. I mean, when uh, before there was an iPhone back in the early 90s, I was learning Zen meditation. And my teacher, one of the instructions she gave me was whenever the telephone rings, before, you know, the instant the telephone rings, ask yourself, was whatever I was doing at that moment that the telephone rang, was I mindful about what I was doing? And you know, I'm sorry, the hippie stuff, some people don't like it. But it's like the idea of like, if I'm writing a contract, at the moment the phone rang, was I actually writing a contract or was I thinking about my lunch? And mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that's something that as humans, it's hard for us to do it, but it's a muscle you can build. And in essence, the way I was doing it back then was I was creating my own random reminders by the telephone ring, because you never know when the telephone's going to ring. And that's a mm-hmm. practice that I've never stopped. I still do it to this day. And I, I also add to it text notifications at this point. So if a text notification comes in, I just, it, it's rote for me. I ask myself, okay, like Rose will text me, hey, can we do the show an hour earlier? Okay, well, at the moment my phone rang, you know, whatever I was doing, was I actually doing that? Or was I, was my brain somewhere else? And um, I think mm-hmm. it's something that everybody should try to work on because if you can be present with your work, you can get better work done and you can enjoy your life. And honestly, that's what you're there to do anyway, right? So just do it. Or or it's not even just work. Like if I'm playing Lego with my kid and the phone rings, was I playing Lego with my kid or was I thinking about that contract? I, you know, it's like you just ask yourself that question. So what you've done is created an automation system that kind of duplicates the the telephone effect that I have. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're doing more than that, but it sounds to me like it's kind of the same idea. Yeah, it's absolutely the same idea. It's just this simple thing. And I was using the app um, Just Timer at the time, um, or Guest Timer, um, which creates this little timer up in the upper right. Um, and so that's where I would see the notification come in is is from Guest Timer, Just Timer. So I kn- kind of knew that it was coming. Um, 
but it it gave me this sort of rhythm. It gave me this, um, or even overseer, right? That's the other perspective on this is like, if yeah. I'm not, if I'm not having personal integrity in this current moment and sticking to what I said I was going to do, my self of the past is going to judge me. Well, well, I, I would, I would interrupt there and say, don't judge yourself. You're a human. We all do it, but just be yeah, aware, for sure. just be aware that sometimes you, you get lost and, uh, did you find that you got better at it? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't use it anymore. Um, maybe because I don't have anything as beastly as a uh, PhD comps in front of me. Um, but I had to, I stitch it back together f- to prepare for this work, uh, this, this conversation with you guys and it made me want to use it again. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. How were you calculating random times? Did you have like a specific number of reminders that you'd like to fit into say a a 60 minute window? And then you, if you were working for 30 minutes, it would divide it by two and just sort of measure things out or what, what was it doing for that? Yeah, basically you got it with that last idea. It was, it was taking the amount of time that I was expecting to work. Um, and then choosing a random number. I think it was dividing that between by 12 and then choosing a random number related to that number. Uh, right. I, so it was like, it was quite a few steps to try and make sure that it was really deliberately random and not too frequent and not too um, infrequent either. Um, but yeah, it was a neat idea. And actually I forgot one other part of that, but I think it may be the most interesting part. Um, and it was a step in the process of that setup that did what um, I guess David Allen has talked about this as a kind of visualization. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is to was to actually prompt me to think about, like, why am I doing this? And yep. to think of a moment in the future when I'm past this, when it's gone well, and it's okay. And again, this is me, you know, managing some anxiety that I was fighting. But um, it's a really neat little trick where I, I, again, use that same idea that I talked about earlier and talking about home, the Obsidian home screen and the projects list. I just have a plain text file and a list of descriptive moments like sitting on the couch watching tv without anything on my mind except for hanging out and not worrying about this comprehensive exam um and so the shortcut would actually grab one of those from that list randomly and show it to me and say you know like think about this anchor yourself there and don't try to let go of some of the imposter syndrome or anxiety that you're fighting uh, in this moment and again that goes back to this idea of augmented intelligence it's like how can we ask our computers to remind us of who we really are trying to be um, and I think there's this an untapped potential there for a lot of people to try and make themselves think more clearly and bigger and and cleaner. Yeah, I, I really like that. That 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 is a, a really good automation idea. There's one thing I would probably do because um, I'm going to steal this and give this a try for certain things. Um, there's there's an app that came out recently on iOS called Affirmations, which just sends you random nice messages throughout the mm. day. I would probably replace a couple of the the remind like you know don't forget to do this with some scheduled ones of those because the, it can pop up automatically randomly, but also adding a couple of extras to the notification you get, or maybe even just appending it to the title um, would be really cool because there's a get affirmation action in shortcuts, of course. Um, So yeah, Mm. I I really love that idea though. There are some days where I do struggle to stay on task, so I can imagine grabbing that shortcut for those days. Yeah, a couple couple points there. First, just on the nerd side, I'm a big fan of Readwise, which collects all of my highlights from all of my Kindle and other things I read. I don't know if they have an API. I'm going to look into it because that would be cool, Rose, rather than using affirmations to actually use your own chosen highlights out of yeah, Readwise. I mean, you could just also just store them in DataJar or something. I know Readwise has integrations with some things because I believe, is there a Readwise plugin for Obsidian, I want to say? Well, they have a, 
they have a Readwise plugin that will send your annotations over to Obsidian. But what I'm yeah. thinking is I want to grab a random, maybe favorite it, because you can favorite them in Readwise. So gra- grab a random favorite Readwise highlight and then give it to shortcuts to do something with. And uh, They have an advanced API section, which starts with highlights list, which gets a list of your highlights. There you go. I just uh, got to figure it out now. So, yeah, it's, it's a get request. Uh, you can even filter by tags and everything. I'll put a link to the uh, Readwise API in the show notes for people. So now I've now the show has cost me two weekends. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> you're welcome, David. But but the other the other thing is though, uh, the bigger issue you're getting at with this augmented intelligence and the the steps you're taking, I think, is something that everybody listening should consider. Um, technology mm-hmm. is wonderful, and it has done a great job of connecting us and and making our lives easier, but there is an inherent risk with technology. In my opinion, it's that lack of focus. And I know I'm preaching about another podcast now, but the, um, there is a problem of focus with technology and just watch anybody. Um, I, last night I was driving home. My wife was driving home and I was in the passenger seat and the car in front of us didn't have active taillights. The taillights weren't Mm. working for whatever reason. And the guy was swerving and and my wife and I are like he's on his phone, you know. And finally, we hit a red light, and so we pull up next to him. And I roll down the window, and I'm because I wanted to tell him his tail lights weren't working, and I'm like waving, I'm sticking my hands out the window oh, like no. a crazy man. But I mean, we were stopped. I mean, it was at a red light, but I'm yeah, yeah. I'm yelling at the top of my lungs, and he's he's looking. I'm to he's on my right. I'm on his left, you know, two cars parked next to each other. I'm in the passenger seat. So I'm literally like two or three feet away from him. And he's literally looking to his left and down. And you can see his face lit up by his phone. And I'm thinking this crazy man is driving down the road, looking at his phone. He stops at a red light and there's a person yelling at him three feet away and he doesn't even notice, you know? Well, anyway, (laughs) that's a long story to say this technology can cause us to lose focus sometimes. And yeah, I think as, as automators, we can take focus back with things like what Ryan is doing. And I am a huge fan of this. And I think everybody should, should look, whether it is putting do reminders in, whether it's listening for the telephone to ring or, or setting up Ryan's script. I think everybody um, would benefit from trying to find a way to find a little more focus in their life uh, despite their technology maybe using your technology to help you get that back. Mm-hmm. I preached again. I'm sorry. I preached too much. No, actually. no. I, I wanted to say amen, but again, I'm not saying religious, but I, I definitely agree fundamentally with everything you're saying. And just to offer one, maybe less um, uh, hippie element of it or angle on it. Another way I can see this working is through sort of self-facilitation. Um, so a good facilitator, you know, leads group of people through an exercise and if you're working alone, you can't really do that. But I imagine you could set up, say, you're going to do a little um, sprint on a project you're working on. And maybe you typically would go through a phase of planning out the project and then just starting the work. And you could use this kind of approach to give yourself a, a, a mode or a, a method of um, moderating that, right? So you sit down mm-hmm. and you say, okay, in 15 minutes, I want my phone to tell me that I'm done sketching out this idea and I need to open up the typewriter and, and write fade in and keep going, right? Um, and get this the great American novel out of me in the next 45 minutes. And it's it's similar to the concepts that we've seen for a long time about Pomodoro and so on. Um, but I think the neat thing is that you can use automation, you can use tools like shortcuts to very simply make this a little bit more personalized and yeah. intelligent. 
Yes. And I, I think that is the beauty of automation tied into everything else here, isn't it? It is the personal element that it is tailored to you and your needs, which makes it much better. Mm-hmm. And I'd also argue that, you know, that solves the other problem of the kind of the maker manager problem. We all have to be a manager, but we also have to be a maker and using mm-hmm. automation to mode shift that to make it to, to, you know, just, you know, like the, like the whistle in the factory, you know, you can use automation to get yourself out of one mode into the next. Absolutely. Well, that was, that was definitely hippie, but I think, uh, I hope I got through, if I got through to one person, it's worth it because this stuff is so, so, so useful. And I do think like it doesn't require JavaScript programming to take advantage of automation this way and really, you know, make an improvement on the way you get through your day and and enjoy your life. I mean, I was thinking when you were telling me about um, this augmented intelligence and the reminders you're getting, I think that a perfect application for that is daughter time. Um, You need to be completely present with her because I can tell you, uh, before you know it, you will be looking at her college feed and it'll feel like it was yesterday that she was a baby. So, um, uh, so you want to be there, uh, when she's there, you don't want to be thinking about, um, you know, scripting obsidian or working on your PhD. You just want to be there for her and, and finding a way maybe to use your tech to help you be more present is, is a very good use of your tech. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, I, uh, I feel like we just scratched the surface today. (laughs) We have so much here. (laughs) There's a bunch in this outline that we never got to. So we're going to hold on to this. We're going to get you back at some point, but I want to thank you so much for coming on. For toddler automation. Toddler automation. Yes. That is going to be the big hit of the next few years. Yeah. And, uh, and we all are looking forward to hearing how you progress. I mean, so I, I understand you're right now on leave with your with your new baby, but at some point you're going to be yeah. uh, going on past being a PhD candidate. What's next for you? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I mean, I'm interested in research for um, and, and, and impactful research, right? And doing things that are as helpful to people. And one of my research interests, that's why I'm writing about this stuff all the time, uh, is this kind of topic, right? Uh, automation mm-hmm. for augmented intelligence or data modeling um, in terms of notes, right? Um, and so, yeah, I'm aiming to graduate from my PhD and um, find a f- nice faculty role somewhere, which can be challenging, but that's the goal. And uh, hopefully keep kind of publishing on this stuff and adding some rigor to it. That's the that's the dream. Well, I'm going to cross my fingers. That works out for you. <laughs> Thanks. I'm certain it will. I'm certain it will. I have faith. Oh, yeah, yeah. same. Another angle of the augmented intelligence stuff to me is the way Obsidian connects things for me before my brain does. And I, uh, I think that might be another nice topic for us the next time you come on. So we're going to put a pin in that as well. Um, where can people find you, Ryan? Yeah. So most of the stuff I write on these topics, um, it can be found on axle.design, axle.design. Um, and I'm trying to focus my writing there on, on the topics we've covered here. Uh, I do have another website, fulcra.design as in the plural of fulcrum, um, F-U-L-C-R-A. And that's where I write about some other topics that might not be that exciting to people here, but on systems thinking and um, solving solving complex problems in the world. It's the other area of research that I'm engaged in. Well, we have both the links to those in the show notes. Great. And we all appreciate your contribution to not just Obsidian, but you know everything you've been doing over in the forums and all the great posts you've got over at Axel.design. Um, gang, go check it out. This is one you're going to want to add to your RSS feed if you're interested in automation. Ryan has has got the stuff here for you. So uh, 
uh, we appreciate everything you've done and, and coming on today. Yeah, thanks. It's been a really fun conversation. Okay, that wraps it up for this week's episode of the Automators Podcast. I want to thank our sponsors, Text Expander, Stripe, and DevonThink. Also, if you haven't checked it out, I'd like to recommend you try another podcast on the Relay Network called Make Do. If you like this show, there's a good chance you'll like Make Do. You don't have to monetize your hobbies, but if you want to, the Make Do podcast is ready to be your cheerleader. It's hosted by Tiff Arment, a glass artist, painter, and photographer with a not-so-secret past in Broadway costuming, and also Julia Scott, a journalist, potter, and self-proclaimed textile goblin. Some really great episodes include The Myth of the Tragic Artist and Don't Tell Me How to Hobby. Just head over to relay.fm slash make do or search for make do wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And we are the Automators Podcast. You can find us at relay.fm slash automators. We've got that great forum at talk.automators.fm. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.